Rolling the clock forward, you and Elon tweeted recently about population collapse. What do you think yeah. is going to happen there? Oh, well, I've thought for at least 10 years that the biggest problem in 50 years will be that there's just not enough people. The population collapse in developed countries is precipitous, right? It's like it fall, we fall off a cliff. I worked on a UN committee, oh, it's got to be 10 years ago now, um, to help draft the UN Secretary General's report on sustainable economic development. And so I looked at all sorts of things like that. I was very curious, for example, about, because people have been beating the overpopulation drum since, well, it really kicked in in the 1960s, you know, because there were dire predictions. By the year 2000, the Club of Rome came out and said, well, there'll be riots and mass starvation and mass movement of, of migrants and because there's too many people on the planet. And that just didn't happen at all. That was just, that it wasn't just wrong. It was anti-true. It was absolutely wrong. What happened instead was that everyone got way richer and the, the bottom section of the population in terms of economic distribution got lifted out of poverty. Inequality still exists, but that's that power law phenomenon we already talked about. Not that that's trivial, it's just unbelievably difficult to determine what to do with. There are solutions, but certainly getting rid of capitalism isn't the solution. Um, and so I looked at population trends and first of all found, not that this is an act of genius or anything, that as soon as you educate women, the, the size of family shrinks precipitously, like below replacement. And that's partly because women have other options. I mean, all the, all the countries in the West are way below re replacement. Korea is way below replacement. South Korea, Japan, way below replacement. Yeah, I think Nigeria will have more people in it than China by the end of the century. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and Musk, you know, he's a far-looking man. And, and so he's looking around the apocalyptic corner, let's say. Like, uh oh we're running out of people. And what that means, of course, is that you run out of young people. Right. You don't run out of old people first because everyone who is here now is going to be 30 years older in 30 years and it'll be young people we don't have enough of. And of course, young people are the ones who do the innovation and are going to do most of the heavy lifting, etc. And so there's going to be a terrible shortage of young people. Yeah, well, and th this idea that the planet has too many people on it, this is... So what do you mean too many people? Exactly. And what do you mean the planet? And what do you propose to do about that exactly? Or should we do something a little more dramatic? Maybe we'll just shame people out of having children. And I've seen people do that, literally. I saw a professor when I was at a, a TED. There was a number of professors talking to a couple hundred students. And one of the professors who was an environmentalist activist type, and he got up on stage and shook his finger to the whole young crowd saying that him and his wife had only decided to have one child, which was, in my opinion, one child too many for him. Mm -hmm. And told all the young people there if they had a shred of ethical decency that they would lim severely limit their reproductive potential. And I stood up and said that I thought that that was the most, one of the most appalling things I'd ever heard anyone in academia say to young people, which is really saying something because they say plenty of appalling things. And it was a very uncomfortable moment and he huffed off the stage. But, you know, in a frenzy talking about how you couldn't talk about such things without being pilloried on ethical grounds. And yeah, that's for sure, you come out as a what emissary of the academic establishment, you tell young people that humanity is so corrupt that they should seriously consider not 
propagating because that violates the deepest of ethical norms and you think that's a good thing and that that's your right and it's just beyond comprehension it's beyond comprehension but it's associated with like a deeply rooted existential self-hatred so yeah it's it's unbelievable and a huge part of it's rooted in this existential shame and 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 horror at the condition of being human and the fact that life is rife with suffering and a lot of it's unjustified and you know it's a mephistophelian position so mephistopheles was laid out portrayed in Goethe's Faust um, that's the story of a man who sold his soul to the devil for knowledge it's a story of intellectual pride and Goethe stands in relationship to German literature in the same manner that Shakespeare stands in relationship to English literature. And Goethe's Mephistopheles says straight out twice in, in the play, once in the first, there's two books, and once in the first book and once in the second, Goethe has him restated twice. Existence is such a foul thing because of all its suffering, essentially, that it would be better if it was merely annihilated. And that's the Mephistophelian stance. This whole show should just come to a halt. Look at how corrupt people are. Evil reigns everywhere. It's nothing but will to power. We're destroying the planet um, with our unchecked ambition, all of it rooted in greed and, and, and Machiavellianism and jockeying for position. And we're so contemptible that we should just roll up and die. It's, it's unbelievably appalling. It goes all the way down to the bottom the bottom of things. That's what's tearing our culture apart, this dispute about the nature of existence at the most fundamental level. As to the evil which results from a censorship, it is impossible to measure it, for it is impossible to tell where it ends. Censorship, when you really start to see it rolled out in the level that we're seeing it rolled out now, really is a great indication of just how far into decline we've gone. What we are heading into, folks, is an absolute Orwellian nightmare. The level of censorship has been unprecedented, and really it's because they wish to run the world in the way they are running it. And it really is coming in everywhere, folks, this dystopian future, this level of censorship, and this basic cleaning up of dissenters, the sweeping aside of dissenters, kind of shunting them off into the corner and putting them in a dark room out the back somewhere where no one notices them. That's what's kind of happening, folks, you know. As I've said before, the revolution will not be televised and neither will the disappearances be televised. People will simply be squeezed out of society. While people are distracted with all of the other stuff that's going on, this is the type of legislation that is rolling out, folks, and this is what they're doing in the United States. So if you think that this censorship isn't coming to you in the United States, well, it already is. And it's happening in very insidious ways. They're doing it through legislation and bills and safety acts and health acts and all of this sort of stuff, just so they can slip in the back door while people aren't noticing. So it's pretty important that people pay attention to what's going on here. It really is. And it's pretty important that people attempt to create some sort of unity with the people around them. You know, as I've said for so many years, folks, you know, peaceful non-compliance, you know, if we simply walk away from this system in mass, you know, step back into natural law and realize that we're supporting our own slavery here. And all we're doing with every move that we do that this system demands we do is stepping outside our moral compass to do it. 
know, if we put all that back into play and we bring morals back into play, we bring our moral compass back into play, bring natural law back into play and simply stop complying with our own slavery, we can step away from this system in mass and we could change the world in a day. That is the frustration of all of this. You know, seeing all of this in place and even, you know, seeing it rolled out and people wanting to address it, you know, they're going down legal means and petitions and bills and legal action and all that sort of stuff, which is all great. Sure, let's do it because we need to throw as many spanners in the works as possible and taking all this type of legal action definitely does help awaken other people who think that that world is real and they only really understand legalities and all of this social construct. So that's, that's a method that needs to be employed as well. But, you know, stepping back and really looking at it, you know, just encouraging people to step away from the system is the most beneficial thing we could ever do and will have more results than any type of legal action we could ever implement. Theatre for the masses, folks, you know, pet enemies and pet distractions and pet wars that they need just to keep people from paying attention to what's actually happening on the ground where they live. And really, that's where the focus needs to be put. I mean, a lot of people just don't see this. They just don't see what's happening right beneath their feet. And it's rolling out pretty quickly, folks. And there's so much theatre now to distract us away from this and so many attempts to keep us tied up in infighting. Put it all down, folks, and look at what's happening because if we stand together as one strong voice, we can stop this and we can change it. We can change the direction that we're going. But if we continue to focus on infighting and trying to hack each other down and see who can be the top dog on the pile of conspiracy theorists or whatever it is that we have degraded into being when really we should be truth and freedom activists I mean if that's our focus then we're never going to get anywhere folks because the system that's rolling out now is going to be pretty difficult to escape from once it's in place we're going to be so locked out of the internet anyway it's going to be very difficult to even get this type of information to anybody soon so it's important that we pay attention now and we get ourselves into action now get out there in the real world get offline, get in the real world and actually get out there and do things and help reach people, reach your neighbours, just reach out to people, folks. That could make all the difference, it really could. Yeah, so, you know, with this whole surveillance system that's rolling out, a lot of other reports I've been getting in emails is that people have been having a great deal of success in addressing the surveillance aspects of it, the social crediting system, Pointing out to people what's happening in China, what it's really about and how this monitoring system is coming into play in all of our countries. This is what is happening right now. Real-time data being collected on people in real time, facial recognition everywhere and gradually moving us into a cashless grid. And the cashless grid is eventually going to end up in a situation where there's no banks, there's no even need for a legal system because it's all going to be taken care of by algorithms. You know, you're going to get behavioral points, you'll get behavioral credits, social credits, based on what you act like in society, how you behave in society, how you treat people. And the thing is with this, you know, it all sounds good on the surface when looked at that way. But when you realise that the parameters that are being set up which determine what good is, it becomes a very, very dystopian. 
But once people really start to understand how this works and how there's going to be virtual fences set up and how it's not really going to matter how much money you've got in the bank or how much cryptocurrency you've got or any of this sort of stuff, none of this is going to be relevant at all in the system because it won't matter how much money you've got because your purchasing power is going to be determined upon your social credit points, on your behavioural score. So that's really what is the relevant part. You know, you could have billions of dollars in the bank, but if you're not able to buy a plane ticket simply because you jaywalked a couple of days before and you've jaywalked too many times and now you're down on social credit scores, well, it's not going to matter. The only way you're going to be able to get those points back is to perform some sort of an act of bribery, like go and make substantial donations to government-sponsored charities or to go and do volunteer work. And eventually, when you look at this and you think about how it works and ties in with volunteer work and all of this sort of stuff, and it's all based on behavioural scores and social credit scores, and there's no real need for banking. Well, as the system becomes more and more automated, we're going to be all issued with a universal basic income. And that universal basic income will be based on social credit scores. It'll all be 1,000 points. You've got 1,000 points to start with, and then you will go up and down according to how you behave, which will be judged according to government parameters and government guidelines. And not even government in its normal sense, because it won't be people setting up the guidelines. It will be algorithms. It will be AI setting up the guidelines.